Good morning, comrades. You are listening to WHIPLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. Today on the show, we have a very special episode. We have two incredible guests. Uh, one guy been on here once before, is returning champion, uh, and recently elected to the uh, Democratic Socialists of America National Political Committee. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's John Lewis. What's up, John? Oh, doing good, doing good. Yeah, and also we have a uh, first-time guest on the show. Welcome. Also recently elected to the uh, co-chair of the uh, New Orleans Democratic Socialists of America. Uh, we have Wash Field. What's up, Wash? Hi, I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, and I wanted to have the both of you on the show. Because both of y'all were delegates to the uh, DSA convention, which just took place uh, about two weeks ago as of recording uh, and as of airing. And uh, I just kind of wanted to, we've covered it in the past and, um, you know, I've been a delegate to it in the past. And I just sort of wanted to talk about, you know, what what is convention, sort of like questions like that. What happened at this convention? What was sort of the dynamics that uh, that were, were at play going into this? What happened, like I mentioned earlier, and then and we have to look forward, um, not just at the national level for an organization like Democratic Socialist America, which is, again, the largest uh, socialist organization in the United States, but also what lays ahead. So that's sort of like how we um, how we wanted to kind of envision this conversation happening. So um, I guess first I can kick it to Wash and you can go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, so I'm Wash. Thank you for the introduction, newly elected uh, co-chair of the uh, DSA New Orleans. And my, you know, day job is I'm a, a public health uh, professional. So that's kind of something that I'm really into. But I think that my um, experience at convention was really interesting as someone that hasn't gone to something like that before. In comparison, I look forward to hearing about John's uh, kind of how this compares to the online convention, particularly, because I know that people talked a lot about how the kind of dynamics that people had at the convention, um, you know, how they treated each other was different in this, uh, because it was in person. I, I, I just had a, a really, I thought it went really well in how many just connections that you made with people just walking around and how many, particularly for uh, Southern chapters, delegates from the Southern chapters and rural chapters, how we tended to find each other and put, uh, you know, a commitment to continuing to work with each other in the future. Cause I do think that there's definite push towards statewide and regional and, you know, um, generally, uh, more coalition between chapters, um, at least from my experience in talking to people at the convention. So that was one thing that really stuck out to me. I'd love to hear John's take on on that. Yeah, um, this was my second um, DSA national convention and my second DSA national level in person event. Um, I went to the actually went to the very for and it re, this relates a bit to what uh, Wash was just talking about about some of the camaraderie or like just like sharing of things trying to unite trying to show solidarity right so I went to the very first uh, in person thing that we had back after the pandemic which was our multiracial organizing institute last year in Minnesota and you know like this was kind of like a low stakes like training institute conference we wouldn't call it a conference so much because it was a more of a closed group of wealth. 40-ish people or so, so, but very low stakes political conversations, diving into some things and kind of like really getting to spend time getting to know other comrades, discussing things, sharing things, which was very, very good from like a sense of like leaving from there like, yeah, like I talked to people from coast to coast of this country, from the northern, from the northern border all the way down to the southern border. I got to actually talk with people from all over this country and talk with our comrades about like what were they interested in what were the things they were working around what was specifically around multiracial organizing but it was still just good right but and when it comes to the convention like and we'll get a little bit deeper into some of this later it's like 
it's kind of like, you know, like we have these high stakes political questions. We have these high stakes political votes. We have these things where like, what are this stuff is going to be debated? What are the things that are not going to be debated? You know, like these things are going on for an entire month, this for an entire 120 days, almost leading up to convention. Right. So it's kind of like a big thing where it's like where we do have instances of solidarity forming and the ability to communicate with things. But since the stakes are a bit higher, there's also like that bit of, you know, like, are you talking to me because you want my vote? Or are you talking to me because you are trying to whip for your specific thing? Are you talking to me because you want to recruit me to your clique? You know, instead of like people just being feeling more comfortable to just kind of like have some of those interactions, but not that those organic interactions don't happen there either. And compared to the virtual one I'll close with is that, the virtual one was more absolutely more widely attended, but mm, there's there's still that difference in like we can't in like there isn't really a space to like have a lot of conversation without people who may not already you may not already be in contact with is the other side of it. But there's some answers for that that people have worked out and stuff too. Yeah, and a little context for that for the listening audience: uh, the previous convention, which happened two years ago, uh, was in the middle of like the highest points of the COVID, you know, crisis in America, which is, uh, which is obviously, you know, it's something that's not ended. Uh, it's actually uh, sparking up again more than ever, but, but in 20, in 20, uh, what was it? 2020, uh, the convention was 2021. The convention was uh, completely remote. So all the delegates were, and I was a delegate at this convention. That was the only uh, convention I attended in, uh, attended in the past. Uh, it was uh, totally remote and it was uh, actually a really, it was a it was like ran the gamut of like being an interesting experience because you're able to participate in like the highest level of like decision making within DSA but also like it didn't have the sort of social component other than like we had like you know a couple of card nights with some random people who signed up for it or anything like but you couldn't really have like a party or anything like that you would have like everybody's on like, like it's basically just a way of like saying this is a social zoom call instead of a work zoom call or a business zoom call you know what i mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but anyway um but yeah so what were you sort of thinking both of y'all because um because john you were this was not your first convention and you were running for um national political committee so you were like going into convention had some certain you know, ideas and, and, and prospects and goals for it. And then, Wash, this was your first convention. Uh, maybe we could start with you, Wash. What were you sort of thinking as you were going in, um, you know, to this convention for the first time? It was really exciting as someone that is, you know, uh, <laughs> hate to bring it back to living in the South so often, but I think that that was like a really big focus of the things that we did surrounding this convention. Like for example, um, New Orleans DSA, but really John as like a huge contributor to the whole workload of this put together like a social, uh, sorry, a Southern organizing forum, you know, whenever we were looking at NPC candidates, the national political committee that we voted on. Um, And I, I feel that there was like some touching on uh, needs to, um, you know, where we're putting uh, resources. Anyway, point being, it was really interesting to hear from all of these different groups in different areas that have fundamentally different political situations and as a result, extremely different takes on what should be done in the organization. Um it, it was really interesting being in a weird, almost like moderate position within the leftist sphere because we're having to be like, well, maybe we should uh, not give up on all, uh, every single Democrat that exists, you know, perhaps we should try pulling them onto our side rather than immediately, you know, making enemies with everyone, um, which was... Uh, uh, you know, I feel nervous saying it here. It's such a, a controversial opinion whenever I was in the space, which I felt uh, very, very intrigued by, you know, coming from a space where I was like one of the only socialists that exists openly around this area. Mm-hmm. Um, also a lot more handing out of materials as you walk by than I expected. A lot of, a lot of documents. 
it is nice to not feel alone for the first time, or at least not feel isolated that you're part of something bigger. John, definitely. You were sort of like running in the convention. What was your sort of thoughts and prospects for the whole thing? Uh, so uh, I came into it. So my first convention when I was like a baby socialist, I'd only been activated for like, and I use activation to say that like, once you become aware of like the disaster that is capitalism and that there are alternatives, like there is no like turn it back, I don't think. Right. So like I buy being like a what I still call like maybe going from like my baby socialist era to like becoming a more full socialist and going to my first convention, like I just didn't know what was going on. I didn't know fully what was going on. I'm still picking up on everything, you know, like I'm used to like doing like national, like restate or regional conferences and conclaves from like uh, being in being in Sigma, which is a black service frat and like doing other stuff like that. But really like picking up on some of the stuff of how DSA works, that was kind of like my first one. And also like uniting with the rest of the Louisiana delegates, kind of similar to what Wash was talking about. But then you know, literally like maybe a week or two after that convention was when like some major things within like terms of DSA as an organization happened, right? Like, and then as for us as Louisianans, right? Like we get hit by a category five hurricane and we get the Iron Dome and we get the Iron Dome vote uh, during this time period as well. And like, so like going, coming from it, I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, this is a very, very difficult time, you know? So it's like, and then coming from that and then like, having to go through the process of like some people from my chapter leaving too because of some of those political decisions at that time period like that really kind of like put me into a spirit of like okay so this convention that i was just at and interacting with this national organization has a different impact on like my local organizing the things that i'm doing here where i'm at a lot more than just like how i thought about it before and so that kind of shaped my kind of track path for the next two years that led to me being a candidate and then ended up on the interim steering committee for the entire organization uh, at this convention. And I kind of went into it with the mindset of like, I'm, you know, like I prepared myself around the idea that like, you know, like I'm coming into this from the sense of like, I'm running and I could potentially lose. I could not win this race. So that prepares me for the possibility to put my best foot forward, but also not go above and beyond and begin to engage ungenuinely or uncharacteristically, right? Mm -hmm. So then I can kind of come from this and like, hey, like, I just want to talk to you and see what's up and see what you're doing and see how you're organizing and learn about how y'all have organized all of your students, all of your YDSAs or your young DSA chapters in your state of Michigan into like having a very productive force or how these socialists in Delaware have a direct line to their state legislature via their like socialists in office and they have a developed socialist in office committee and they're a small chapter, right? Like talking with all of these different people and learning about like the different ways that they're contributing, the different things that they're doing and kind of like the different horizons beyond like, you know, what we do here, which we still have stuff that we excel at that we do pretty good too, I think. So, but yeah, it was, it was very interesting like coming into it, but those things that happen around that first convention definitely like shaped the path going forward and i had to bring that up because the key thing is is that a part of like in, interacting in a democratic organization with an uppercase d like dsa is that like you have the ability to impact the organization right like decisions were made that absolutely impacted what i was doing and impacted the stuff that we had going on and I set out with a mission to be like, yo, like we need to change this. Like we have to do something about this. We have to like acknowledge that these things are going on and acknowledge that like these decisions do impact everybody. Right. And then kind of work our way around from there and figure out how we can find a better way of going forward. with it. And that's my, been my whole thing since. And, and holding the whole thing together too is really important because I don't know, there, there is a sort of like, there is in my opinion, sort of a, a, a utility of having a, broad sort of like socialist you know coalition that exists um in in this country and you know we aren't always going to agree with one another and we're going to have um you know ways and you know we have to we're going to have um ways that we're going to have to sort of like determine what the direction of the organization is going to be and and the most appropriate form for that is something like convention uh, where we can sort of settle these questions at least for two years. Um, let's pause real quick for station ID. You're listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. We have Wash and John on the show. We're talking about DSA convention. So just to kind of get a little bit more specific about some of the questions that were sort of like 
up for discussion and debate as in the run up to this uh, convention. What were they? And we can start with you, John, and then maybe you can fill in uh, as well, Wash. Um, what were the sort of the big convention questions leading in the convention? And then um, we can sort of discuss after uh, what the sort of resolutions of that were. Okay. Yeah. So um, I'll um, find a way to phrase this. And so like there's one big political question that like, especially for people who have been like activated, like socialists or anti-capitalist people who have been organizing, doing other stuff like that, they can't, you know, like you can't avoid, you can't avoid these types of questions coming up. But one of the big ones was how we relate to the boycott, divestment, sanctions movement, Palestinian liberation. And, um, one of our elected uh, reps, who's no longer endorsed by the organization and got censored by the organization, his uh, vote to uh, fund the uh, Israeli military with his Iron Dome vote. And, and also several other things that he did, like meeting with Netanyahu, traveling to Israel, other things that like you would typically expect to see from like APAC candidates, other things like that, who have been, you know, even just harsh opponents of just progressive Democrats, right? Not even going as far left as socialists, just groups that have been harsh, harsh, harsh opponents of of, uh, of people who aren't who aren't towing that line against like the apartheid or other stuff and so this was one of those things that really 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 shaped the major question of the organization going forward from literally happened almost immediately after our last convention and going all the way into this one in which you know like there were calls for a special convention you had letters that chapters across the country signed on you even had the kind of the dissolution of the attempted or almost dissolution of our boycott, divestment and sanctions and Palestinian liberation working group, which was by uh, the MPC. Yeah, by our national political committee as well. Right. So, you know, like these things kind of shaped that question. And the key things that came from it was like, well, you know, like we don't really like what's going on here. We don't you know, a lot of folks express that we don't like what's going on here. We don't feel like we have enough say in like how some of these political decisions are being made. And there's no real path for people to go about doing that. So this kind of branched out from not just this political question, but into like a structural question as well. How is our organization structured, right? Like you would say that the way you would hold uh, MPCers like myself accountable is by having a special convention, but we've never called a special convention in the last 10 years of the organization. So that's not going to happen. Right. So yeah, you might as well like call a unicorn to fix the problem. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So like, and like, so like you have all of these other things that come up from there, like, well, how do we allow for more uppercase democratic oversight of the organization of our national leadership, which I very much lend in favor of. And also how do we resolve some of these political questions? And then of course there's the issues of like trans and queer rights, the attacks on like our on like school boards, education, the pushing of like individualism and fascism and trying to like them, these groups really trying to like hone that in, especially in our region of the country, right? So there's a lot of these questions that are all flowing around and it's kind of like slipped into like this convention where we started trying to solve some of those problems. Mm-hmm. Wash? Uh yeah, there's a, a couple other things uh, that stuck out to me, um, but also going off of what John said about the trying to gain more clarity about what is happening on the national level in our organization, I think that that was a big focus. Um, I think that with the uh, anti-Zionism vote, um a lot of it was not only political, but largely uh, arguments over how it was structured, how the working group uh, existed and what levels of accountability there was with that. And then beyond that, um, I know uh, John was one of the sponsors of a bill that passed asking for more reporting on um, what is happening in different chapters uh, so that people can, you know, know more of that and gain from each other. And then also um, uh, studying just like different democracies to see uh, and different um, structures that other socialist orgs and things of that nature have in an attempt to make our system more, um, uh, you know, work better. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then, you know, discussions over what should our uh, overall leadership look like. We ended up expanding the size of the um, the National Political Committee 
uh, from, correct me if I'm wrong, John, 12 to 16. Um, still 16. It's still 16. We were we were talking about changes, but it stays 16. Was, oh, there was my like, bad. It like made it like way bigger, like 30 or 40 or something like that, which was which would have been, I mean, we can get into this particular question in a little bit, but that sort of like seems like a way to sort of water down leadership. Um, mm-hmm. I, one of the things that I think was passed was, um, what was it called? The democratic sort of like, uh, standing, almost like a standing, a standing, commission. uh, commission. Yeah. Sta- standing delegates essentially, uh, which, uh, I think does genuinely expand democracy. We can get into a little bit more specifics later, but I do think that also, um, it's important to sort of mention that there is, and I think it's something that's worth bringing up, and I don't think it's provocative, but I think it's important to bring it up because it's a, it's a real tension that exists within DSA um, that, is, that I do think is reconcilable. But there is, a, um, there is a difference in sort of approach and tactics that has to sort of coexist between larger chapters in blue states in big cities, places like uh, Los Angeles, places like um, New York City, um, just in like Northern California as well, um, there's sort of like a different, there's a, a, a way that they can act and they can operate that is significantly different than what can happen even, not just even in blue, like in blue cities in red states like New Orleans, but all, but like we have chapters that are in conservative areas in red states that are, that, that, that just have to function in a significantly different way um, from the, from these larger chapters, and um, they have to exist within the same organization. And um, one of the sort of like strongest critiques I've had of DSA over the years was that it was it was like governed in a in a in a way that um, and I don't I don't mean to like cast any blame or or whatever. I don't think this is anything that was done with any malice or ill intent. But but essentially, the the sort of um, point of view or the sort of like subject of, of of a lot of the decision making that's taken place within the organization has come from the point of view of the sort of larger blue state chapters, um, which is I mean not to say it's not representative of the membership of the organization or anything like that. But if we're going to have a broad, you know, organization that covers the entire uh, in the entire country, then we're going to have to find a way to square that circle. I think that that kind of brings us to the new makeup of the NPC mm-hmm. and the absolute Louisiana sweep that uh, <laughs> occurred. Dub, dub, dub. Yeah. So, so, so just to, to, to um, clarify for people, so um, in New Orleans, actually, so by the way, not only was it a, uh, a Louisiana sweep, it was a Good Morning Comrade guest sweep because former guest on this program, John Lewis, former guest on this program, Megan Romer, and former guest on this program, Francis Gill, the only three people that were all <laughs> guested on the show, are all now on the uh, uh, National Political Committee. So if you want to ever become a member of the NPC and DSA, you know what show to go on, folks. Right <laughs> no, no, no. But like, watch this point. Like, yeah, we, we did have three people. Uh, Megan Romer, uh, formerly of the Southwest Louisiana um, Democratic Socialist America. Now she is in um, northern um, northern New York, New York, upstate New York. Uh, John who uh, came over here uh, recently to New Orleans from Baton Rouge, and also, uh, you know, Francis Gill, a longtime secretary and former co-chair as well of the New Orleans chapter, um, all now uh, members of the NPC. So congratulations to all three of y'all. That's really kind of cool, knowing three people in the NPC. I don't know. Yeah, the fact that it's the NPC is, like, nearly 20% Louisiana, and at the same time, of the seven New Yorkers that applied, only one got in. I'm like, no way. that's pretty cool. I just, it's pretty cool, you know? And I think that a lot of it has to do with, like, uh, our candidates' tendency towards, like, uh, compromise, healthy communication, uh, letting chapters, you know, decide what they need for themselves, you know, and understanding their their environments and working with that, whilst at the same time working to 
pull us all together rather than be more factional. I think that that is um, in part, you know, things are influenced by chapter culture. If our chapter's cultures have always held these as um, important tenants, then those that join will, you know, are more likely to adopt those tenants. But I think that a lot of it is also just like by virtue of um, where we live, we're inherently always uh, having to work with people that we're not agreeing with on every single issue and work with people that don't have super refined theory because it is, you know, a place with high levels of misinformation and propaganda and stuff like that that you do have to combat. So I think that that's something that made our candidates more appealing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, yeah, I definitely co-sign with what I said there. Cause like, it's one of the things that like I described to somebody where I was like, yeah, you know, like I wish I would have got introduced to this like a whole lot sooner and right? a whole lot younger than I'm now and I ain't old, but you know what I'm saying? But <laughs> like the thing is, is that like, when it came down to it, there were no there were no organized socialists in my area to do that, right? Like, mm-hmm. like the closest thing you may have had like would have been the Louisiana Black Panthers, but a lot of them are just now getting out of jail, right? So, like, you know, from like being like people who were targeted by the federal government, of course, other things like that. But the key thing is, is that like a lot of them are just now getting out, so there were no organized socialists in our area until we became those organized socialists in the <laughs> area, right? And it kind of goes from this sense of like, okay, well, you know, like how do you get it out the mud? How do you take this and turn it into something else? How do you, you know, like if I look at it and I'm like, oh, well, you know, there's not a lot here right now, but the soil is fertile. How do we till it? How do we plant it? How do we cultivate something and grow something out of it? And how do we kind of like do that by engaging people, right? Because like Mm -hmm. the key thing is, is that like folks out here understand disenfranchisement, you know, regardless of where they fall on the political spectrum, they understand disenfranchisement. We have some of the we have some of the worst educational outcomes, some of the worst life, life outcomes. We have some of the highest poverty across all of the U.S. and its colonies. We have like you name it, right? Like people here, whether they live in the city, whether they live in the rural areas, where they live it, where they live by the sugarcane fields, by the salt mines, whether they work on the oil derricks, where they live in Lake Charles, Alexandria, Bunky, New Rose, where they live in Monroe, Faraday. Bossier, Shreveport, you name it, right? Like they understand this, right? And the key thing is, is that like, well, what is the message that means, hey, we are talking about a political transformation for you. We are talking about empowering you, right? We are talking about like making that difference in your life, right? Because if we, if you can't do that, then like you won't be able to activate more people. Like, we're already downtrodden. We're already doing it. You know, like, we ain't going to come over here and shuffle with our heads turned down and be like, well, I guess we'll just go go to work again. No, like, no. Nah. When, when the storms blow through, when the floods come through, when the new freezes happen now, because we got those two, I guess, right? Like, we don't just be like, oh, well, that's it. Nah. It seems impossible you know? right now with the temperatures that they are. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like, when it's hot, when it's hot like it is right now, right? Like, we go out there and we hydrate people. When after the after the floods happen, you're gonna catch us mucking and gutting your house, right? Mm. Like after the hurricanes happen, you're gonna help us clean it up after the storm and trying to find you a generator, right? Like it's a like it's that tenacity, it's that unwill unwillingness to give up. And I think that like tapping into that and also like it going through that is part mm. of what like makes that difference, you know? Because yeah. like ain't nothing off the table to try to like get more people and get more people power. Yeah, I'm reminded of um, my own experience with Hurricane Ida, a hurricane that I myself had to evacuate for after the after the <laughs> fact. And also, like, I'm on like while I'm evacuated at some place, I'm also like on the phone with people like trying to coordinate, like, how are we going to do this disaster relief? How are we going to help? You know, it's just like really kind of a uh, like the, the, the objective is to sort of like help people out in this increasingly disastrous situation that we're all going to find ourselves in with the kind of trajectory of the world. Um, we're reaching the bottom. That's of the also hour. something that uh, I apologize. Go ahead. No, no, just we're reaching the bottom of the hour. I got to uh, really quickly do station identification. Um, you're listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. Uh, we have Wash and John on the show. What were you saying, Wash? Uh, I think that that's also something that was, if not talked about on like the floor of the you know, debate 
place. <laughs> you know, the debate the convention room. Floor? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a good word for it. Um, that is something that I think came up with pretty much all the, the Southerners that I talked to was how we need to create a, uh, a net of a web of mutual aid for helping each other, sending resources to each other, acting as evacuation spots, acting as people that could take over the role that you are in, mm-hmm. um, you know, where you don't have to be evacuated and doing the disaster communications, you know, that could be something that is uh, aided by other people mm-hmm. in this. We can all see how dramatically climate change is increasing the number of natural disasters that we're all getting and the severity of it. And at the same time, not seeing a ton of uh, signs that our government is going to increase uh, its ability to improve infrastructure or any form of recovery after the fact, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that that is something that is like a collective worry across the South in, in light of all of this. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something. There's been like a long sort of like internal debate in DSA about like the idea of mutual aid and whether or not it's like charity or whatever. And like um, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But like I will say that it's not like unself-interested charity, because if you're doing a specifically disaster like relief, you're looking out for your own self just as much as you're looking out for anybody else that's in your similar situation. So um, mutual aid is not, in my opinion uh based on the sort of like frame that we're discussing here any kind of charity where you're doing something nice for other people you are creating an environment where support for one another is the norm right place you can't you find liberation through mutual aid Mm -hmm. you know um i don't think that there is i don't think there is socialism without mutual aid i don't think that humans should exist without mutual aid, you know? Um, It is different from charity because it is including this level of collective liberation and analyzing the systems that you're in and trying to, you know, during this process, uh, analyze the systems that you're in and come together, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I do think it's a liberative process. Yeah, and I'll I'll throw in too, and I'll give like, so, like, if we take it, if we, like, and I'll follow that, too, and note that, like, if we take this from a sense of, like, we have to look at, like, the interconnectedness of things, right? And we have to look at, like, how society progress and how, like, the different relations between, like, classes and society progress, right? And, like, if you th- look at it from, like, what I'm saying is, like, that core of, like, Marxism, like, dialectical materialism, historical materialism, right? Like, if we go back to colonialism in the United States, right? Like, we had multi- we had different classes of people. We had a ruling class. We had, sl- we had people who were enslaved and turned into commodities themselves. And we also had the Free African Society of Philadelphia from 1786. From that single group, right, who practiced mutual aid, development of development of people, and tried to practice community support and outreach and other things to help folks out, you have a shotgun blast of all of these other, like, African-American, Black American, like, benevolent societies, mutual societies that goes back. This is all, we're going to, like, coming back almost 300 years, right? Like, blown outwards from this right like you're talking about the underground railroad right because like we hear about it but we don't hear about the organizations that actually like ran the underground Railroad. yeah that was a mutual aid network wasn't it (laughs) yeah like it was a network like it was a collective of people who were doing this for a long time it wasn't just like you know it wasn't just like people running off into the woods like there was an organized system and process for getting people away from these systems right and like they all kind of blast outwards from this point so it's like and people politicize this, right? Like you can find, like if you, like there's a really cool flag that says, uh, there's a really cool abolitionist American flag that says uh, no nation united with slavery, right? And it's like, and the key thing is, is that like they continually politicize these acts, right? Because somebody could turn and say, oh, well, you know, like freeing the, freeing the slaves or helping these people escape from slavery doesn't actually, you know, like end enslavement for them or in broad enslavement or in the system of class-based slavery upon these people but 
Well, yeah, but it also fucking gets people out of slavery. Excuse my language. Right. I'll, I'll use my one word then. But it also gets, it also improves people's conditions. It also changes their conditions directly. It also acts as a point to liberate them, to politicize them, and to keep them engaged. It's kept people in so engaged that they passed it down for hundreds of years to do community support, to help other people, to take care of kids that aren't your own. Like you can, you can, you can literally just throw it into whatever you, whatever search mechanism, research mechanism you'll find. And you'll find all of these things coming from those core ideas of like, well, can we help people? Should we do this? Is this about human development? Is this about people liberating people from oppression? Yes. Then they'll do it. And they'll do it until the conditions change to where they could liberate everybody from it. You know? So that's what I would say about it, to follow what Wash was saying. Because Wash gave the perfect layout. We can still politicize this. Like, this is something to politicize and engage people around and try to get people to become or get activated as like, hey, you can do something about this. You don't just have to suffer underneath this. You can do something. And also, I think the go ahead, Josh. I think that the Black Panthers are really great. One of the greatest examples of this because the FBI literally said like their free breakfast program was one of the biggest threats to the United States. You know, because it revolutionized people, and that's why they incorporated the free breakfast program as a federal um, program so that they uh, tried to take away some of the power that the Black Panthers had in providing this service that makes people like see how the government uh, is failing them. And, and also with that, like, I think that there is a element of privilege in, uh, in being against the idea of mutual aid because for so many people it is a, a survival thing um, and a huge quality of life thing and for example if you are hungry you cannot pay attention in school you know um, if you can, just generally you can't do a lot if you're hungry and I again am anti charity but i am extremely pro mutual aid and extremely pro giving things to people you know as someone that works so strongly in the homelessness sphere well, and, and charity is only necessary at the absence of all other options like you'll take it obviously but like yeah um, yeah the, that's a really good way of phrasing it is yeah. <laughs> better than nothing if you got nothing else you know you gotta feed these but like but but again speaking on the the panthers um you, you know we've been on this for a minute but i think it's really important that there's also was a state response that was not just violence upon the panthers that the state did to counter the mm -hmm. uh Black Panthers um, uh, free, you know, breakfast or free lunches or whatever, um, which was for schools to provide those things, which had not been the case prior. So, you know, and then in the absence of those of those sort of like networks and systems that did exist, um, you'll see that we're having the issue of now children being like literally exploited and like being put into a debt situation mm -hmm. for their own school lunches, which is just like the saddest, most disgusting, like, perverse kind of thing that you can think about. And, you know, speaking as a former teacher, um, yes, you cannot Absolutely. think uh, the same way when you're hungry as you can when you're uh, when you're fed. Absolutely. Straight up, it's the, the I mean, you know, hierarchy of needs. Um, yeah. Anyway, to get, circle back to convention, I really do think that was a great discussion on, on, the, on the topic, but I do want to circle back to convention. What were some of the sort of major... Um, uh, issues that were sort of up for debate? What were some of the major sort of like um, things that uh, we can say, like especially in sort of um, in hindsight now that convention is completed, what were some of the accomplishments of this convention outside of, you know, the new leadership that's been a, a, a bit more um, geographically diverse and more sort of like representative of the broader scope of membership than it has been in the past potentially? I think uh, a lot can be said about what we did on a financial <laughs> level. Perhaps it's well, we not went, super interesting, but well, we in, well, just to I mean to make it interesting, DSA went into the convention in a uh, like like staring down the barrel of financial crisis. How was yeah, that? Yeah, that's very true. Uh, go ahead. I was going to throw in a light, quick note: is that we already have had like from the time convention occurred and ended, 
multiple people, like several hundred people have already switched over to like actually like try to help the organization get out of that situation Mm -hmm. and put more into our coffers. And it's been going up every day. So something good, something, you know, Uh, something good did happen. Keep going, watch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the, I think the, the, the resolution you're probably referring to is the new 1% for the 99%, which is uh, recommending, you know, trying to do a push, a campaign to get people to switch over to monthly dues where you pay 1% of your uh, monthly income in order to help the 99%, uh, which I think is going to significantly increase um, the amount of funds that DSA has, uh, even if only a small portion of people do it. Uh, mm-hmm. And also, it had better because we are now paying our leadership, which is really awesome. Another huge uh, difference. Um, if you wanted to talk about that at all, John, because I am not... I'm not fully sure of the logistics, but I think that that's something you might care a little bit more about than me. Yeah. So, you know, like it's the situation with it is that, yeah, like that is going to like definitely like cause some readjustments around like different things. Right. So like if I like I've been framing it as like, right, is like the organization is like a political actuator or is like a part of an engine that causes stuff to happen. Right. And so it's like, if the organization is running effectively, then the organization is also like being doing a good job of politicizing things, engaging in politics and doing the stuff that is, you know, like we're talking about human development, helping people, other stuff like that. Right. Kind of ending this class based oppression. But the other side of it is that like, yeah, like how much money goes into which thing also determines some of that. I'm, I mean, like, not to cut you off, but like it is, it is like, I mean, it's an old canard, but like a budget is a, uh, just a quantified list of priorities. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and like for my case, like I'm kind of like, you know, like we're, we're in a position to where like the financial situation isn't amazing. And I think this is a good thing for the people who may need that money. But like, even for me, myself, I'm kind of like, you know, like, I want to try to see how much we can like, improve our fiscal situation before I would like, like, yeah, I can take this extra money, you know, because like, I'm not solely running for it. But the other side, and like, would be nice to have it. But I've also been of the opinion of like, yeah, like, you know, like, I'll give it back to the organization until we in it until we're in a space where like, we can say this is perfect this is good we're rolling like we're everything is fine and not that it's in a bad straight right now but like we could be in a much better position than we are right now right and but i do think that you know for some folks they like this is something that can help them continue to organize you know like it can be stressful it can be time consuming it'll take you away from your job you can even steal hours from your job by doing this different stuff especially for the task of leadership right so it definitely does make sense as something to do to try to like help help out help out our comrades help out our folks and help out leaders of the organization but you know it comes down to like finding those spaces where like it'll work out because i know some folks yeah like they absolutely absolutely 100 percent should can should take it should use it and should use it to continue to do the things that they can do to help support the rest of us when it comes to these things too great yeah i i i want to circle i want to actually zoom in a little bit and get a little bit more specific on um on sort of like how convention and some of the things that uh, went down there affected specifically New Orleans and Louisiana. So, are there any particular takeaways that um, that 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 y'all can sort of think of that um, specifically kind of touched on Louisiana, um, New Orleans, or just sort of like local and sort of like regional organizations that somebody mentioned earlier? Um, and what kind of like progression that could be sort of to, to sort of bridge the, the sort of seemingly um, very long distance between the national organization and, and locals. Okay. Uh, I throw in then, so we, you know, like, like uh, Jeffrey knows, like we've been trying to get, like we've been working on Louisiana DSA for like the last two years, longer than that, like really, but really making that push for it. And so like the key thing is, right, is that 
ideally you need different layers of like support connection to different things other stuff like that and you know like for an organization that you know we just are not going to have billionaires dumping money into us to like do stuff right they we're actually hate us to... those billionaires right that's what it feels right. like <laughs> right right we're going to be running off of people power so it's kind of like yeah like if there's somebody who can help out all of our YDSAs or our young our young DSA chapters at the state level or at the regional level, then sure, we can take that and they can plug things in. And we have people who can help out our locals, who people who can help out our folks who are in places like Bastrop, Louisiana. We got somebody in Bastrop for real too. For real. What up? But the other side of it is that like we can actually have people who can help those folks out too, right? Help connect them, help keep them connected to the organization and give them a place to express it. And, and that's and, kind and of make the, them, I'm yeah. sorry to really jump you, cut you off, but yeah. make them feel like they're a member in the same way that somebody in New York yeah. is. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Because like those things, like the because like the whole thing with them is that like once you is that if you have the mass to do it, like you can absolutely do it. And there's two theories of like how I've seen like state and regional formations work out where like in one case you start out with like a larger state blob where like you connect everybody in the state together and then they branch off. But the ESA kind of moved past that question already because we already have like a lot of individual cells. But the other side is that you take cells and then you form a new state body alongside all of them or you merge them into a state party like they did in Connecticut. Those are all things. Those are a couple different ways you can do it. But the whole idea, right, like like Jeffrey just said, is that like if we don't if we have people continuing to operate in isolation, you know, like you can't spell socialist without social. You can't spell these things without social. We are social actors. We do this as a crew, as a collective, as a community. And if people are disconnected from their community, they're probably going to wash out. They're probably going to stop trying to organize. They're probably going to get demotivated. You know, like they're probably going to start feeling down. And being connected, that keeps you around for another month, another year, another two years, another five, ten years. Who knows who else in your area might be like, oh, yeah. I'm interested. Oh, yeah, I'm down. Oh, yeah, I learned about socialism from you. Oh, yeah, like I'm engaged from this stuff. And oh, there's somebody else in my area. Then there's another person. There's another person. There's another person. We can recruit. We can take action. We can do stuff, right? I'm not feeling like I'm alone in Bastrop. Again, love our comrade Andrew. You good people. No, I worry about people <laughs> in those places, like in, in, in smaller chapters and, um, and and people that are sort of like at large members and and sort of remote situations because I like I worry about the same thing. I worry that small chapters might just disappear if they don't have the support that that would kind of keep them can keep them moving. I'm, I'm sorry, yeah. I, sorry, I feel like I keep going on and on about this, and I, um, but I think it's really important thing to uh, to kind of continue to hammer home. Wash, uh, do you want to add anything to that? Uh, yeah, I mean, one of our delegates that came with us, one of our Louisiana delegates, um, was from rural Southwest Louisiana and had expressed frustration over the fact that like, he can't easily attend social events that Baton Rouge or, uh, or New Orleans is hosting because they are two hours away all the time and how he doesn't have a lot of support for, for example, like running for a student um, board position, you know, which I think is something that at the convention we uh, stated was something that we wanted to look at more since that is where they are, uh, you know, attacking so many kids, especially trans youth, um, mm-hmm. which was also, uh, I like that you brought up YDSA because that was also uh, a big topic of conversation especially on the first day because we uh put a lot of money into funding them better generally supporting ydsa better because you know we're looking at dsa that has over you know the past couple years since the bernie bumps uh since the pandemic has made it more difficult to do things i think it's uh reversing more now Um, But we had been going down in membership for a long time, whilst at the same time, YDSA was skyrocketing in how many members that they have and the actions that they are doing and the successes that they're getting from that. So I think that it was uh, a good idea for us to put more effort into making there be a good pipeline from YDSA to DSA which is one thing that I was interested in. 
Yeah, because uh, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the 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 colleges are sort of places where people can, you know, express these ideas that are in the remote locations already. And if that could be a way to sort of connect with the, the places, that kind of does fill in at least a part of that square. Um, so it also, I, I I am reminded of something that I heard people like say related to one bill or other who who even knows so many it was so much it's a it was a very intense uh experience it really all melds into one blob and then whenever you leave the convention you're like oh i have to remember how to be a human person not like <laughs> using robert's rules yeah, you know not, not motioning to speak yeah life is not governed under robert's uh, rules, speaking. yeah <laughs> thank god um <laughs> but someone you know, mentioned at some point, like, uh, how should we divide resources between, you know, or uh, chapters based on how likely it is for the money to actually have winnable um, results, which I think is just a nice way of saying we shouldn't fund rural and southern areas, in my yeah. opinion. I don't think it's that nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I've, I'll say it once, I've said it I'll say it a million times. A, most black people in the country live in the South. We are just extremely disenfranchised. Most trans, the majority of trans people uh, are born in the South. Um, and I just view the South as the battleground of a lot of these issues. It is where it is starting. And it is where it seems like the fights are going to be happening. And it is annoying to me to think of uh, people just deciding to give up on the area and protect their own locations better for their people, ignoring those that can't leave the South, you know? Yes, yes. And I'll, and I'll, follow, and I'll throw in there, too, from the sense of, right, of, if, of it's like the organization can't be, like, is, if we're going to be a democratic organization, we can't just be, like, funneling stuff. In a national organization, we can't just be funneling stuff like into like specific places or specific areas only solely right like there has to be something for everybody to plug into so this also changes the entire way that you have to look at it right like if we say that we're looking at doing like labor support and only four to three percent of workers in louisiana are unionized right and if you go across the south the, the unionization rate is abysmal and there's a lot of historical and modern reasons for why this goes on beyond just like right to work laws and other stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a whole history of like labor in the South where like general strikes were going on, but they steadily pushed and pushed and pushed and then used some and then used various mechanisms to separate them. One of those being racism, Jim Crow, other stuff like that, right? Like there is a hefty, hefty part of how this kind of all played out. But the key thing is, is that like if we just take the idea of oh well, you know like you have to do X, Y, Z for this thing, then yeah, like that limits the horizon for it. That also limits the ability for us to actually develop folks here, right? Like you can even take, you can even take like the, the um, you can even take uh, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, and Austin, right? Like these are not, those are, there are not very large DSA chapters in those places. And you know how many people live there across the South still, in a red state still, right? Miami as well, right? Like we could go on. Like, it's the key thing is, is that, like, these places are also underpopulated when it comes to how many comrades we have in these spaces. So just like Wash said about, like, how it kind of, like, it can sometimes end up, like, well, only if this gets us wins. Well, yeah, like, I don't think we're going to have a W if we have a Republican <laughs> supermajority state, state government, right? Like, we're not going to have that type of W. Our Ws are going to be counted differently. How many people are reactivating? How many people are kind of getting politicized? How many people are, in, are kind of coming engaged with like socialism or being engaged with it? How many people are we keeping active? What are we, who are we retaining? How are we kind of like bringing a different perspective to how these things operate in other ways that we can engage around it? Like mm -hmm. our political situation is just going to be different. But Louisiana is also one, is also one of the places that is very, very, very overrepresented in exports for the United States of America. Just from the mouth of the Mississippi River alone, we're fourth, we're the fourth largest exporter for the continental United States. Like so much stuff comes through here down the river system and is also produced here that like it also leads down the economic pipeline that kind of keeps a lot of this other stuff running, right? But the key thing is, is that yeah, like 
how what happens if we unionize these plants? What happens if these places get organized? What happens if the people here get organized? What happens from these things too, right? There's a whole bunch of things that go beyond just like a short term a short term thing of basically treating people like we're supporters for we're supporters or we're donors to specific projects that aren't where we are. Because if it's not where if it's not, you know, if it's not a place where we actually have the power to impact something, even if that's getting another socialist a day, a month, a week, every every six months, anything else like that. Even if that's something as simple as putting put, giving somebody some food, helping clean somebody's house out, dumping a generator off at their house after a hurricane or anything else like that, right? Like that's still something that I think counts as a W. And 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 yeah, it's what W like the what the definition of W is. I mean, like obviously I mean, I'm a supporter of somebody like AOC in terms of like what they can and do and like what they represent and the fact that she actually would show up at picket lines and give out food or whatever. Like that's something that like here is unthinkable. However, at the same time, you know, we can't at the same time. Lo- I mean, it, 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 I mean, really, it's a question of like low expectations, too, which is I mean, I don't know. It makes me kind of mad. Like like it, it really underestimates the idea that like we can do that things are possible in places that are sort of like historically um, or not even historically, like recently sort of like perceived to be like conservative fashions or whatever. But like, I mean, what was it? And I, I, I say this on the show all the time. One of the last elections within the past four years, I think there was a $15 initiative, like a statewide ballot initiative in the state of Florida, you know, conservative right wing Ron DeSantis, Florida that passed. Um, so like there's definitely ways that we can score dubs. We just have to make sure that we know uh, how to define them. We have about five minutes left. Um, so I guess uh, final takeaways from convention and sort of like what we have to look forward to. But we got to keep it quick. Uh, Wash, you want to go first? Yeah, I, I am most excited about all these reports that are going to be coming out telling us all the great things and getting ideas from different chapters and different organizations and all of that. I'm excited for all of the communication that I've seen between different chapters and the uh, urges that people have for um, regional uh, coalitions. I'm excited about how the NPC seems to be more focused on uh, being transparent and being uh, more willing to compromise and be checking in on things that are happening. And I'm excited about this 1% for the 99% campaign and seeing what we can do to get DSA in a better financial position. Uh, and uh, just overall, I think that there it's just a good sign of how much uh, momentum is coming back uh, in terms of membership, getting membership, uh, retaining membership, membership being very involved, chapters working together, and generally uh, just work being done. So it's it all just made me very excited for the future of the org. Cool. And where can people find um, some more about you or like on Twitter or any kind of social media? Washer. Uh, sure. You can follow, well, A, follow uh, the New Orleans DSA uh, Instagram, which is just New Orleans DSA. Very easy to remember. And then you could also find me on Instagram as well if you wanted at uh, notdoivash, which is N O T D O I V A S H. And I'm sure that Jeff will, uh, I don't know. I'll put it emanate it into the minds of those listening so it just like you can imagine it without having to uh there you go you know put any effort in i assume john. that you have that power yeah of course um john what uh your takeaways what are you looking forward to and where can we find more information about what you're doing uh i would say straight up that like you have the opportunity to impact the organization if somebody from a chapter with that with somebody with a chap, if somebody coming from a chapter and coming from one of our like one of one of our lower po- one of the states on the lower end of DSA population, coming from join the chapter and that chapter was dead, can end up in national leadership and on our interim steering committee, then like you absolutely can have an impact on this organization. 
you absolutely can make a difference in this organization and through the organization and through your own actions, right? Like you can make a difference in other folks' lives. Like this is what it's about. It's about human development. It's about ending oppression. It's about ending class-based oppression. And we also want to end social oppressions too, right? So like it comes from the space of like, it's not going to happen unless we take a stance, unless we try to do something about it. And that's what I want to say about that too. So when it comes to convention, people put the stuff together, put it forward, they put their ideas, they put their hearts out there, they put the stuff that they cared about out there, and they try to make a difference for it. And even if you and if even if your specific proposal program or other idea didn't get through this first time, guess what? Refine it. Talk to people, educate, get buy-in. Organize. <laughs> organize. Organize, right? You know what I'm saying? Like you can do that here. You can do that here. Do it. Do it. And you can do that and you can learn to do it in your community, too. And you can learn to reach and speak out to other folks. That's what I want to say about that, too. And also, you can uh, check us out at Join DSA. You just throw it in Google. It'll come up. Don't hit on Direct Selling Association. That's not us. It's DSAUSA.org. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they got our they got our URL, but we're going to get it back. <laughs> they they almost slipped up a couple years ago. They gonna probably gonna try to up the price if we if I keep talking about it. But yeah, we're DSA. watching as soon as they slip up. Right, right. Join DSA. Try to make a difference, you know. And like, I definitely think that you can. And if you listen to this and you want to talk about stuff, you can catch me at a underscore common name on uh Twitter on X and all that. Something different. Maybe we'll have a better social media thing come up. I don't know, but yeah, you can catch me there on X too and hit me up. Cool. Well, thanks so much, uh, Wash, John. I really appreciate y'all uh, coming on the show and talking with me about this. I uh, really respect both of y'all and the work that y'all do. So thank y'all so much for coming on. Good morning, comrade. You can listen. To thank Good you morning. for having us. Of course. Yeah, of course. You can listen to Good Morning Comrade every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central Time on WHIV LP New Orleans 22.3. Uh, you can also listen to us anywhere in the world, whivfm.org slash wishing. More uh, wishing, whivfm.org slash listen. You can also uh, find more information, our archive of shows, everything at goodmorningcomrade.com. Thank you so much for listening, uh, and we love you. Bye-bye.